What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Run Your Mouth podcast. We're here with the Fagcast boys, which is fun as always. We've got uh, Carr and Bird, the whole gang together. And the first thing I want to know before we talk about the coronavirus is what's the story with uh, Chili Dose? Is it still going on? Are you guys officially canceling it? What's the story here? I don't know if we have the uh, the authority to officially cancel it. That'll be up to Jacob. Uh, but uh, it's... I'll say it's not looking great. Cause I, I was excited. We were we were saying that we were gonna get you guys, uh, you know, do a crossover podcast to promote it because I was gonna be there. We were gonna do I was gonna do stand up comedy from the from a truck from the backside of a truck yeah. <laughs> out in the middle of the fucking desert. And then I was hoping that we would go into the wee hours of the night, hammered, and do a crossover podcast live. But you know, it, people are facing worse problems than us not being able to chili dose. I guess it's true. It's true. That's a well, fair point. M- maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> and so you got to explain this to me also. So last year it was Childerberg. And then you guys called me out that even though I promoted the event, I'm part of the problem. You're like, you got the wrong name. So you formally, it's not Childerberg anymore. This year it's Chili Dose. It's like a total relaunch. No, no, no. It's Childerberg. The, the umbrella term is Childerberg. But each one we've determined that we're going to name it after the number in the sequence. And each number in the sequence is going to be progressively a diff- different language, you know, showing our inclusivity. Okay, I so, got you. And yeah. uh, so, Car was telling. I mean, uh, you're you're out in Texas, which means you probably got some property and some guns. And uh, I don't know, are you kind of stocked up for shit situations or not? Not so much. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm 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 relatively stocked up. I got a pretty small footprint over here. Got some uh, ammo. Got some got some guns. Got some food. So, I mean, I don't know. Like, if shit really hit the fan, like, I you know, it'd be. Uh, it might get ugly, but uh, I mean, by and large, like I'm, I'm glad I'm not in Queens. Yeah, and so Bird, you are in Queens. So, <laughs> what's your situation? Do you live with family or you live with roommates? I, I live with uh, just just one person, and um, we're. I mean, it's fine. We go to the grocery store every two days. We try to is go that, to the park every is day. Is that one person a gay lover? Because you were very like trying to not let us know who the one person. <laughs> no. <is>. no. <laughs> No, it's not a gay lover. If it was a gay lover, I'd be very, I'd tell you, I'd let you know, Rob. Uh, but uh, it's so basically the situation is a lot of sitting at home and uh, watching Law and Order over and over Ooh. and over and over again. Because I've like already exhausted it. No, or is that just I, bottom of the barrel terrible. television? It's terrible. It fucking sucks. That show sucks. That show blows. Yeah. It's terrible. I never liked Law and Order. Uh, I have this problem where, like, if I start my days productive, I can stay pretty productive. But if I just watch one episode of television at like noon because, hey, I'm taking a break between morning work and afternoon work, my brain shuts off and I'm just out for the day. Like that's it. Now I'm just binge watching whatever garbage I started. See, my problem is, so I'm lucky enough right now. My job is paying me not to do any work. Oh, that's cool. And so I'm, but the problem is I'm sitting at home now. Knowing I don't have any responsibility, I have no responsibility. The paycheck is still coming in, and nobody's tasked me to do anything. So I just have to, like, figure out how to be interesting to myself, and it's right. been a disaster. It's it's really, it's not gone well. Well, I find th- the days that uh, I'm kind of glued into a creative project, like uh, I'm putting together a podcast, or I've been doing, uh, I don't know if you guys have seen, I've been putting up on Twitter a series as if I'm quarantined for my car, and one of my favorite things is people have actually like friends have been hitting me up like, dude, are you really quarantined from your car? <laughs> so I love that aspect. So those days are great. The days where I have to like actually do my office job for my house, like 
Some days are great because, like, you're like, holy fuck, no one around. I get double what I normally get done. But some days definitely just get lost to jerking off and eating edibles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Every almost it's becoming like a weird cycle now where so my the, the blinds that cover my window have been closed for, I don't know, a certain amount of time. And I couldn't tell you how long. <laughs> and sometimes I just go to sleep and I'll wake up and I go, all right, new day. And I'll, and I'll, that, it doesn't matter what time it is. I usually don't even look outside most of the time. I really Dude. only go outside to take care of the dog, which again I assume I'm doing three times a day. I don't really know that as a fact. Three times but, a three know. times a waking sequence. Yeah, yeah, right. And then I go out to the supermarket every two days, kind of just hoping that you know maybe just maybe I'll catch the virus and it'll get interesting again. Right. But that doesn't seem to happen either. I said about this virus, and I, I, it turns out I was right, but it, I think this virus situation was a little bit like a buffet where your best bet would have been to just get in early, and yeah. that way if you needed, like, a ventilator, you would have yeah. been the, one of the first people at the hospital. You don't want to be the last person at the buffet when everything's already been eaten up. That's like, right. Uh, I, I, hate, I hate the idea, Rob. I hate the idea that I'm going to go back to work, and I'm going to be back to work for a week and a half, and, and I'm going to get, get coronavirus and have it for four weeks, and they're going to lay me off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the worst of it. This is your opportunity yeah. to get it and move on. Whereas yeah. if you don't get it now and you randomly get it like in the middle of the summer, Fuck. to everyone, you're just some fucking ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not a part of a crisis anymore. You're a liability now. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um. What? Uh, like loosely, what? What is your gig? I thought you were still in college. No, I. Well, actually, I'm getting my. I just graduated from college, but I still. I. I. I worked in retail. But it was, I guess, higher end retail. So they still they they're treating us probably better than most. Of, I know a couple of friend, my friends of mine who are in retail that got laid off, which sucks. But my for me in particular, I didn't I didn't happen to get laid off. They all sent us messages. Hey, we're going for four weeks. You guys are getting paid, and then we're going into catastrophe pay, and then you know we'll see where it goes from there. Um, I well, guess we're on week three. I don't know. I'm not no, sure. You're winning for now. Okay. Yeah. So in terms of just general coronavirus talk, I feel like everyone's heard enough from non-doctors going, hey, I'm not a doctor, so I can't really tell you, and I'm being cautious for these reasons. So I don't even want that perspective if that's the perspective you guys are taking, but I am going to give you the floor that if you've been seeing any really good evidence that this is a hoax or if in any ways you guys are thinking we're getting conned here that there's some other agenda or conspiracies that this was government manufactured – I'm opening up the floor if you've got any wild ideas or theories that I might not have heard or come across. Uh, well, I'm sure Bert has. So, so I guess I, I'm, I'm sure Bert has some uh, firsthand evidence from from Queens or whatever. But I, I, I do have a take to, to offer. I'm sure everyone or I don't know if everyone that listens to this, but everyone that follows me on Twitter knows I've been fairly loud about. But Bert, do you have anything uh, you want to say before I lose my mind here? Uh, not really. I. Uh... <laughs> Uh, no, because I don't want to get e I don't really want to get too somber either. Um, so, yeah, take the floor. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I actually I actually wrote up a little bit of uh, like a little article on Medium about this like two weeks ago. And uh, I was just looking at the, like looking at the data and just like stuff wasn't making sense. Um, I don't know that I have the answers, but I know. But like I, I feel like I have a firm enough grasp to kind of call bullshit um, there. Coronavirus is is by all my 
re research is real and is a dangerous vi virus, for, particularly for certain groups of people. But um, the I, I think a lot of it is just completely overblown, completely overblown. Um, and the obviously the the overreach from from jurisdictions, whether it be local, state, or federal, have just been outrageous. Not only that, but uh, what a scathing indictment of central planning. Um, you know, basically all of the crises have been supply not being able to meet demand, whether it be personal protective equipment, ventilators, um, beds, this and that. Uh, you know, it, it's all been these uh, central authoritarian structures just standing in the way of people trying to solve problems. And it's just been, it's just been an, an absolute uh, unmitigated disaster uh, at the both the federal level and the state and local levels in, in a lot of cases. In some so cases, not. If you take the approach that this was overblown, do you think it's that um, it just kind of caught fire in the media? And so once you get general hysteria, government kind of has to follow. And so yeah. they go, all right, hey, listen, we got to be cautious here. And they just kind of play into that reality. Or do you think that there's a more nefarious agenda? So I, I don't know. And, and, and that's that's the thing that that's probably been the most interesting for me to watch. And, and, and the truth is, I don't know. I think my my working theory or where I lean right now is that this was a thing that got out. I, I think it's a little bit of this and a little bit of that. I think it was a thing that kind of got out of control um, on the media and it was something for the media to report on. I don't I don't like when you look at how the media was reporting on it in Wuhan early, um, particularly our media outlets. You know, it was just something to just drum up shit about, and then and but then they they spent all their time just drumming up shit about, about drumming up drumming up shit about it, and then it came here. Now I think it had been here for a long time. Uh, you know, as evident as anecdotally evidenced by our just crazy amount of uh like pneumonia and 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 influenza like illness, um, admissions to hospitals, especially in against the backdrop of a not particularly um high flu season uh, by by confirmed influenza uh tests uh but but that being said anyway they they just drummed it up drummed it up drummed it up came here and then a lot of people who i don't think this was like you know cigars in the basement planned together but it was just like one foot after the other like holy shit these people are freaking out so we're freaking out so then we're freaking out and then a bunch of other people glommed on being like oh it's a crisis well we know what to do here like you know take advantage of it you know and, and so that's kind of my working theory i'm absolutely open to anything else but that's kind of what i because some of it just some of it felt frantic some of it felt so frantic that it didn't seem like it was plant like masterminded by one global entity or something like that some of it felt ham-handed and frantic and they absolutely could have exploited more in certain areas and uh, you know than they did and, and stuff like that but again I'm, I'm open to whatever i just don't i you know that's kind of my take all right now i got a wild question for you and this one might not be your area of expertise or it might be over your you know might might not be something you have an answer to but i'm getting a little bit nervous that with all the money printing going on um and the fact that a lot of businesses can't operate right now that we might be looking on at a run on goods in a couple months um, and that there might be some sort of a temporary hyperinflation as we have a lot of uh, dollars chasing not a lot of goods. Mm -hmm. And there isn't a lot of information right now in terms of how many crucial – like because they keep telling us, hey, you don't need to go to your supermarket and stock up. You don't need to do that. They were also telling us, though, hey, you don't need to wear a mask and they backtracked from that one. Now, I don't have the intel on how many farms are actually in operation. What is like – the U.S. supply of like meat and 
Like how run does, how far does that supply run? Like I, I bet if you had the insight, if you were like a real financial guy, you could probably just look at like the, the like the industrial trains and like the way they move these goods, and all of a sudden be like, oh, they're moving them at this rate. That means we're out of stock in three weeks from now. Um, do you know of any of like like simple things that you could be like analytical stuff I could be looking at now? that you could be making a prediction that there is going to be a shortage of some key goods and I'm most interested in like food and produce, you know, in a month or two from now. You know, I, I haven't, I, I, I just haven't taken that dive. Uh, I'm sure that, that I or you or, or anybody with some kind of like, you know, relatively equipped to do some sort of critical analysis and, and relatively acquainted with, with, uh, economics could, could absolutely do that. I just, I, I that's not a dive I've taken. Um, so you know, I guess the short answer is no. I, I really, I really don't. Although, you know, well, yeah, I, I, I don't know if I would comment before I really looked into it. Yeah, it was something I was first giving thought to today, where I was like, you know, I'm not seeing a lot of reporting. The only reporting I saw is that the, um, I guess there's a prediction that there's going to be a significant shortage of the temporary workers who usually picket fields. Um, now from a financial perspective, I don't think farms are just going to want to let their land sit idle. So I would think with so many like local laborers looking for work, you could solve that problem and farms would take less of a profit to have to pay Americans to do that work. Or maybe not because Americans will be so desperate for work, but I'm just not seeing a ton of reporting on what's really going on in manufacturing right now. And like, and that, that, that's crucial even for you and I to know how much do we really need to stock up? Uh, so to bring bird into the conversation, is that something you've thought about at all in Queens? Like, Hey, I gotta be stocked up here for more than just two days, or you're just kind of being chill about it. We, I mean, I'm stocked up for a month. I I have a backup stock of, of stuff for a month just in case, but I've always had that. Um, no, I don't know. It doesn't seem like it's a huge issue right now. I've in my area, I've seen no shortages of anything. Um, the entire time we've been to the grocery store there, I haven't seen one shortage of anything that you could buy in a grocery store, at least in where I'm at. And I'm not, I'm in Queens. I'm not in Manhattan where there are more, uh, supply line issues. So I, I don't, I don't know personally, but it's not really you, everybody should, everybody, everybody should have enough to last for a certain period of time. Um, whatever you think your particular region might go through a disaster, however long it would take to recover. But no, I'm taking it pretty chill. There's no reason to panic if you're prepared for enough. I don't know. How much worse could it get at this point? It's We're starting, at least the numbers today that came out today indicate that we're beginning this peak. Uh, and so hopefully we'll be out of the, this woods in two or three weeks. Uh, but who knows? I don't know. I, yeah. I don't know. I don't have any numbers on it. Like Carr said, I don't have any numbers on it. Well, what's interesting about that supposed peak is that when everyone goes back outside... They're instantly mm-hmm. going to be like, well, everyone's fucking mingling again, so it's a disaster again. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I think what they need to do is to fix the problem is, one, they need to set up the hospital care systems that more than 3% of the population can be sick at the same time. Yes. Uh, and also, they need these fucking just quick and ready tests so that, you know, you can decide you want to go to your parents for the weekend, but I'm going to go test myself first. Like, that's kind of the... I would say the, the the crucial piece of the puzzle to just kind of go back to normal life is just being able to test yourself before you're going around older people. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. agree. Yeah, absolutely. The, this, the solutions seem, you know, there, there's always like clean up around the margins, but by and large, if you could get an antibody test to, to understand if you've already had this thing and you have at least temporary immunity for the next year or so, or whatever the virologists say, 
um, or that uh, you are clean, like problem problem largely solved. You can get the workforce back into action, and the people who are the most vulner vulnerable aren't part of the productive workforce. Like so, you know, it's just it. This seems like you know, I, I again coming from a different field, you know, if somebody came into civil engineering and like started saying trying to hone in on specifics you know perhaps i'd be I, I would have the expertise to say well it doesn't exactly work like that but at the end of the day like if uh storm sewers or sanitary sewers are overflowing and there's a shortage of water in the pipes like people have enough wherewithal to recognize that and that even though they're not in my profession like there's there's very simple things here that are that are at play and yeah and 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 i will i will echo you know what what bird was saying is that I think that some of these numbers are very inflated or misleading. And I think that uh, there's a lot of anecdotal evidence to suggest that they've been kind of playing a little fast and loose with the COVID deaths. And, you know, if you're if you're looking at confirmed COVID deaths, uh, it, it, so long as the numbers continue to paint in a certain direction, um, we've been trending down for four days now. Um you know, there's something to that. And, uh, you know, and if we start trending down, there's going to be a lot of people that are incredibly embarrassed at how, like, I, and again, every death's a tragedy. And I'm not trying to say that this has not been a struggle for a lot of people, but, you know, that's kind of the way of the world is that, that we're all kind of in a little bit of a tussle with nature. And, uh, you know, there, there's a million dangers out there. And it, it certainly appears in the same way that, that, you know, the, the way that we mitigate our 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 uh, response towards lightning strikes or shark attacks or or even the or even the flu um, versus how we mitigate our uh, approach to highway deaths or um, tuberculosis or stuff like that like you know it has to fall kind of in line with the realm of reason and uh, you know it's it's looking pretty scathing to me right now or starting to each day I'll say that. All right. So let's shift gears here a little bit because I want to talk about Bitcoin uh, on your recommendation. We did a podcast a little while back. We talked about the book, The Bitcoin Standard. I finally picked up some Bitcoin. I was real lucky. I saw um, what went on with my personal finances the last couple of years is I, I was I was not that good as a W-9 employee of keeping track of exactly what needed to be paid in taxes and that's all squared away. But for a little while, I felt like I needed to keep all the cash I had because I didn't know quite what I right. owed to the government. And so yeah. it was hard to kind of go, hey, I want to park this in investments because even if over a 10-year time frame, I think Bitcoin's going to do great, you don't want to find out you have a tax bill due right after the thing dips and now you can't pay your taxes. Right, sure. I got real lucky because when I was looking at the chart of just Bitcoin in general, and I'm not a big investment guy, but I have a general eye for like a real general eye for kind of charts. I was like, I think under 10K, I think under uh, under 10,000 Bitcoins a buy. So even when it went down to eight, I was like, I was debating it and I was lazy. And then when it came down to five, I didn't pick up a ton. I think I put like three or $4,000 in. Like, it's yeah. not like I put my entire, but I was just like, as a currency hedge, I'd like to own some of this. And mm -hmm. I also just know that that is a buy price. So I got a couple of questions for you guys. I don't know how much. Uh, Bird, are you a Bitcoin guy at all, or is this not your forte as much? I I I don't. I have a weird relationship with it. I buy in, but I don't. He's my technical guy. <laughs> all right. I consult him. So first is on the like best case for Bitcoin. I think they're saying that the government is about to print more money than all of the Bitcoin that's in existence. 
So if yeah. you're just kind of looking for a safe asset that's not going to get inflated in the same way dollar bills are, that is the best case for Bitcoin. But now, as we he- as we went into that environment, Bitcoin kind of came all the way down to five. You know, it, it kind of hit a pretty low mark from 20 of last year to 10 of this year is kind of being the resistance band all the way down to five. And I know that people needed to kind of sell out so they had cash on hand. But did that dip to 5K make you nervous at all? Absolutely not. It made me very excited because I bought more. Okay. You're just like, <laughs> hey, that's that's a dip. I'm going to buy this dip. And you're oh, like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what? it's the best. I hope it dips again. If it dipped down to one dollar tomorrow, I would I would praise the Lord. That's how much you believe in Bitcoin. You're like, fuck yeah, yeah I can really load up on this thing right yes. now. Yeah. Okay, now I heard uh, I think there's that uh, billionaire out in India, and I think this is kind of my perspective on Bitcoin as well. Um, it's an asset that I'd like to own, but not like I don't think it, there's a ton of volatility in it, and it doesn't drive a return. What I want to have some of my money in Bitcoin is, is that if we end up in some freak occurrence and maybe there's a 1% chance, but there's a 1% chance that all currency goes to shit and people just go instead of gold, hey, this is the most reliable thing, then that means you're, you know, the 10,000 current for Bitcoin could go all the way to a million. It could be like infinitely valuable. So at least you want to own some of it so that if that freak event occurs, it's almost like being in the lottery in a sense where it's like, I mean, not that I'd spend three grand on lottery tickets. So this is a little bit more of a safe asset. And, you know, I believe in it more than that. But to me, that's the sexiest side of Bitcoin is, um, well, people are using it as currency. So at least you're kind of hedging your bet about just if you're just sitting in dollars, you might as well have some of it in gold and Bitcoin so that you're preserving your wealth. But to me, it's also like you're holding this lottery ticket where if all other currencies go to shit or if governments come along and they make digital currencies where it's like a more normalized thing, uh, you know, Bitcoin could be worth like just a fuck ton. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll take you one further is that it's not that other currencies are going to go to shit. Um, I mean, they will. It's just that Bitcoin is a better currency. It's a better technology. Um, so like what what is the uh, use case for gold? Like what? Like how much? Like, like, let me ask you this. How much gold is there? I have no, I have no idea. Yeah, no. I mean, does. I guess it's it, it's a somewhat quantified amount, but I have no idea. I guess. I mean, you know, I guess, but it's not scarce, right? Technically, we don't really know how much there is. We don't know how much there is on Earth. We don't know how much there is in the universe. And and so, what what are you buying? What are you getting? You know I mean, that, that that would be that, saying in, that would in be, the gold in the gold versus Bitcoin. Well. Gold has the advantage of that it's um, historically been used as money. Yeah. Uh, also, if you understand that the biggest players in the game are government and they they have demand for gold. Look at the I mean, Russia finally stopped. But China and Russia, they've been buying up gold. I think I don't know. I don't know what the Fed does. I think the Fed just gets a hold of gold and sells it instantly to try and pretend like it's not that valuable and that they don't actually have any. But, you know, that's conspiracy mm-hmm. loony talk. Uh, yeah. But that's that's what gold has on Bitcoin. But I get what you're saying that Bitcoin has a absolute fixed finite amount. There's no other currency in the world that has that. And so since there's even a natural demand for it now, it should only become more valuable as every other currency is kind of exposed for the fact that there's more of it in availability. It'll be abandoned. Yeah. And so so there's really two main points that I would make if I were going to give an elevator speech. One, it's provably scarce. And that scarcity is backed by a tremendous amount of, of work. Um, so you would have to do all that work to undo that consensus rule. Uh, the 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 other is that it, for particularly for libertarians, um, what do you get with gold? I mean, you get to rewatch a movie that just happened over the last hundred years. 
first people interact with gold and then they say, oh, I want to do business outside of my town. So I'm going to put it in a bank. And then that bank is going to start issuing certificates for the gold called dollars. And then they're going to say, hey, we don't really need uh, to issue certificates at a one to one ratio of gold. You know, maybe we could do one point one to one. Maybe we can do ten to one. Maybe we can do a hundred to one. And that's where we're at now. So I, I don't particularly want to rewatch that movie. Yeah, but that movie can uh, theoretically happen with Bitcoin as well. And that, um, it, like, if we were to transition entirely to a Bitcoin system as a theoretical, mm-hmm. what you'd end up having is your most sophisticated banks would go deposit your Bitcoin here, and then they would start giving out, like, paper or some other currency backed by Bitcoin. Like, so I get that the original Bitcoin would almost act the same as gold, and it could still kind of be totally tracked and scarce, but you'd end up with the same kind of fucking system, even if we were on, well, on I- a Bitcoin standard. I disagree with that. Um, I, I, I don't doubt like you can do whatever you want. You can you can act fraudulently if you want, um, but you're going to be ex- you're probably going to be exposed for it. I mean, the cost of running a full node, a fully validating node is, is nothing. And so I can always just check like, is this is this bank issuing this? Is this bank issuing that? Oh, no. OK, well, I'm not going to use that bank. I'm just going to use these very, very simple layer two solutions or three or four or whatever the case may be down the road. Um, to just simply send my Bitcoin peer to peer. I don't need to mess with the bank. Right. Fair enough. Um, okay. Now, one of the things that you see with all these uh, Bitcoin like articles, and you see it all the time with every commodity ever. And I almost, I, I'm going to ask you because I know that there is something to technical charting. But every time I see like that article, like, oh, if we just break through this, then I just call bullshit on all of those because 90% of the time those articles are inaccurate. They just need to like right mm-hmm. on the commodity that they're talking about so they give you these fancy charts and like well th- this is if we get through this thing then confidence then as long as we you know we hold with this support level and then they just change what that's what, what it is the next yeah day. i think a lot of that i think a lot of that's really clickbaity so the the and I think that, uh, you know, Bitcoin ultimately over the long term is driven by fundamentals. Um, there are a lot of people, particularly because Bitcoin is a very small asset that trade technically. And so therefore it becomes some sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy in a lot of ways. Right. Um, but like, you know, if you zoom out past whatever, whatever X number, the the two week or the or the month or the year, um, you know, that becomes more or less irrelevant, uh, you know. So it's a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I think most of those articles are just clickbait and just trying to get your get your attention. What do you think is the likelihood of another government uh, getting into the digital currency game? And two part question, if someone gets into the digital currency game, is that then good for Bitcoin? Because it just in in principle, like legitimizes the concept of a digital currency. Uh, so the, the answer to your first question is 100 percent. I mean, I, I think that there will be absolutely there will be people t- trying to replicate what Bitcoin professes to be able to do um, or, or does do. And they'll profess to be able to do it. Uh, they won't be able to do it. And it will in the long run be irrelevant for Bitcoin, whether over the course of six months or a year, it you see a surge or a decline, you know, maybe I, I, it, it really that that really depends. I don't know if there's any way I could really predict that. But ultimately, I think people are going to be drawn to a much superior asset when they when when a when a government issues a digital currency, what are they going to do? They're going to devalue it. And so are you going to rather hold that that nation's currency or that country's currency or something that that appreciates relative to goods and services that you can buy with it right now in terms of uh from reading the bitcoin standard and getting into this digital currency cryptocurrency market the only one that i have an interest in is bitcoin because uh and from what i remember is a little bit of uh 
just the way that the the demand is organic it's the first they have first mover advantage and then it's also just the way that the algorithm and network is built that it's actually completely out in the public space there is no like central authority over it um now with that being said i don't really quite understand what bitcoin cash is versus bitcoin or like these other kind of bitcoin derivative products or just people that are kind of working with the bitcoin name so i'll take your explanation on that yeah so a, a lot of the like bitcoin cat like so there's a lot of philosophies on how to um uh i'm, I'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt and and there, there's a lot of philosophies on how to um scale uh digital currencies or cryptocurrencies to the point where you can use them more or less globally and bitcoin cash folks uh believe that you could scale it you know what was called on chain or on, on the first layer on the on the the actual protocol layer um but there were there were really there were really like glaring technical issues with that like security issues with that um and so you know it's my opinion you know and anybody can do whatever they want i don't care I mean, you can own bitcoin cash or use bitcoin it doesn't matter to me but but i think that ultimately they're they kind of roadblock themselves because um if you're going to scale everything on chain you're going to drive up the cost of all of the uh, nodes and and things like that to to the point where you end up trusting centralized ins institutions. So like, I mean- it, I get it. it. So let me, I get, I think I understand what you're saying. Part of what makes Bitcoin so valuable is that the chain is inefficient and it's purposely yeah. inefficient, um, yeah. which is what makes so many computers and different things have to use and keep it decentralized. Yeah. So I think what the idea of Bitcoin Cash is, well, if I'm just buying a hamburger, I don't yeah. really need the security of this entire massive system mm -hmm. for just buying this hamburger. So I'm going to use this other thing called Bitcoin Cash and we'll just do that off the blockchain. And so I understand both approaches. Well, what they're, what they're saying is they're going to do it on the blockchain. That, that that's just not Bitcoin yeah. Cash is going to put every single per transaction, whether it be buying a banana at the bodega or or buying um, a shipping vessel to ship oil from North America to Africa or whatever the case may be on the same blockchain where Bitcoiners argue that those are different kind of value propositions. Okay. And there's a requisite amount of security that needs to be around each of those transactions. And the one for the banana is far, 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 far less. So push it up in layers um, away from the blockchain because there's no reason that every single person around the world needs to validate the fact that you bought a banana. If there's an issue, you know, you can resolve it by either it, it gets a little bit technical, you know, by closing a channel or, or whatever. But there, but why would you why would you have a banana transaction in the same transaction as buying barrels of oil by the bulk like that it the, the, because there's very serious security difference security need differences between them okay so just because i don't want to totally uh box a uh, bird out of the conversation here why don't we take a bitcoin intermission because <laughs> i was I gonna say I, I, honestly i just listen i like to just listen <laughs> to it because every time every time he's he goes off i'm like oh right because i can't my brain just doesn't retain any of this so it's it's always that's like when you talk about religion and philosophy uh <laughs> <Bird>. <laughs> yeah, oh, oh yeah you said that before right <laughs> well so but you know i i only have so much focus myself and i do have some more bitcoin questions i'm going to ask but I'm going to we'll, we'll take a little intermission here because I know that you wanted to bring some uh, sandwich information to my attention, uh, which, you know, I'm 100 percent game for. Right. So I wanted to talk sandwiches with you because, well, I didn't know I didn't know you weren't where you usually are. Uh, I, I, I So I thought you were in New York. So I was going to ask you, you know, what has your sandwich regimen been, you know, now that we're, I can we're still stuck indoors? 
Oh, by please. the way, you're, Tell me. you're not that far from me, so you got to come out my way. I've got this one place that's become kind of my main place, and it's this little pizza spot. It's called Retro 2 Pizza. I'm telling you, as far as slices go, they've got maybe the best pizza in Manhattan. But aside from that, I order off menu. I'm friends with this guy now. His name is Leo. He used to be a currency trader until this is crazy. He lived in Cyprus. He was a really wealthy guy. And I guess Cyprus at one point, their currency got overtaken by the euro and they just stole all of his wealth. Like, yeah. so I can't tell you the I can't tell you the exact details of that other than I can tell you that this guy at one point of his life was incredibly wealthy from uh, being a currency trader, then from being like a real estate inv- like developer. And his wealth was stolen by a country uh, essentially when they just like made the currency worthless. So he's an interesting dude because he's like 55. He's crazy smart. You've never seen a guy who works harder. He's there like. 12 in the afternoon till three in the morning. And he's also just like chain smoking cigarettes, angry as all fuck, which is why, why I just liked him as a person. But I go in there, I, I order off menu and like, they just make me like delicious meatball subs. They make me oh. like, uh, I'm not eating cheese as much now. I'm telling you, come out sometime. I, I, I they like, my meals are nearly free. I go in there and like, they don't, try, they, they give me a free brownies, free seltzer. It's like maybe five bucks for the a quality meatball sub. Is it the, like, is it the best meatball sub you're ever going to eat? No. Is it the best meatball sub you're ever going to find for $5? Absolutely. Yeah, that is um, that every, every, that's one thing that I think a lot of outside of New York people don't know about New York is go to the pizza places. Absolutely. Don't get the pizza, get a meatball sub because every pizzeria, it's like three to $5 for on a hero you get like six meatballs and it's covered in cheese which you're struggling with now rob but generally that's it's it's great those pizza places i think are underrated that they have quality sandwiches fresh bread they're making the thing fresh and for like the price of what you're getting you know the not dollar items at mcdonald's you could be eating a solid like cheesesteak from a fucking pizza place which i get there as well sometimes i get I mostly eat meatball subs, but sometimes I get, uh, I used to do this a lot, like um, chicken with uh, fresh mozzarella, pesto sauce, peppers and onions. That's I'm like, the, uh, that's, that's the shit. That sandwich, that, that's the sandwich. There that's you go. The right there. Listen, wh- when I'm back in Queens anytime, I'm not that far from you. And I'm oh, telling no. you, this, uh-uh. this is Are the you place where I'm eating. Where did you say you were, uh, uh, more or less? I'm like uh, Astoria, Long Island City. It's basically. Oh, the are you in a, the of, AOC uh, district? Are you in AOC special district? <laughs> no, she's up in uh, she's up in the Bronx. Oh, she, just, she doesn't yeah. bleed over into Astoria too. No, no, she's up in the Bronx. Oh, the okay. reason why you're affiliating her with Astoria is because she uh, she canned the Amazon deal. Amazon was going to put together oh, that major that's deal. Cool. In Long Island City. Now, here's what's a little bit interesting about this, and I don't know, I don't quite know all the details. I think AOC fucked up big time that um, they were, Amazon was going to make a major investment in like basically what's a waterfront area and kind of like warehouses in Long Island City. And I bet for anyone who currently owns property in that area, it would have been money and it would have been a good area for like the influx of jobs and that investment. Uh, And she canned it. But what's interesting about her canning it is I think Amazon is still going to end up in New York City for the most part. They're just going to end up like not with as nice of a campus in a building with a lot of the jobs without the tax breaks. So it's going to be somewhat interesting if like long term she actually kind of won that fight, even though it seemed like she was. I'm not pro AOC in any way, but it it is interesting that she canned it on 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 behalf of the tax cuts. And I think Amazon might end up with a lot of the same amount. 
I don't know, because it might just be the high-end jobs that are ending up in New York City, like all of the marketing people and, yeah, like, right. the, the tech people, whereas, like, all, like, those uh, wholesale, you know, work-in-the-factory type jobs are, you know, not going to be there. Yeah, probably. That is probably the case. That is why I was thinking of her in Astoria, exactly. Um, but, yeah, that isn't anywhere far from me, man. So anytime pizza... Or that sandwich in particular. <laughs> that's oh, yeah, sandwich. absolutely. And the guy's great. You can talk conspiracies with him. He, he's like, oh, oh okay. that's amazing. Like, uh, there you go. He's all up in the 12th planet and like uh, <laughs> that aliens have come to Earth. You can talk yes. like anything with this guy. He's great. Perfect. 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 That's good. Have you made any sandwiches at home? Because this yeah. has been. Yeah. What's your, what's your per- sandwich regimen been for okay, the, for the so quarantine? This is great. I'm telling you. The first week of being back in my house, I think I lost like five pounds because there was no bread here and there was no cookies and I was losing my mind. And I'm telling you, I got over that hump of like where I was really itching for that crap. Except I was doing a lot of drinking late at night. Like they, it's like one or the other. It's like either. Oh yeah, it's been unbelievable. I've been doing that. I've been doing that. the amount of sub, the amount of substances that have been consumed in the past three weeks. I normally, I have a policy. I don't keep booze in my apartment because uh-huh. I drink it. Like if there's a bottle there, I come home at two in the morning. One, it doesn't matter. I'm having two or three drinks before I go to sleep. If I don't have booze there and I have to go pick up booze, then just most nights I don't end up drinking. Like I, or at least not the way I used to. I used to like really booze, but I can't enforce that rule on my parents' house. You know, yeah. like it's not my house. I can't tell them they're not allowed to have booze here. So I drink that booze every night. <laughs> <laughs> so I just, I got my makers right now, but literally every night it's a couple of drinks. That's, that's what it is. So, well, it's because it's, it's so, it's so boring. It's like as soon as you're done like working, then it's like, well, I have literally nothing else to do. I have nothing else. You have trapped me like in my I house. I drive home. You know, yeah, my work like... just ended. <laughs> Isn't it sad? Isn't it sad that we've been reduced to this, like whatever this limbo thing uh, is that we're living so in? Brutal. We're just like actually just drinking in order to be happy. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> because it's... like the regular dopamine just isn't being produced. Yeah. There's nothing yeah. to produce it. It's so, so brutal, man. Week one here, but then it came. Uh, it came to the Holy Sabbath Friday. My parents are uh, very observant, right. and I was like, "Oh, you're gonna be doing Passover then?" Oh, I'm doing. I'm doing a little too much Passover this year. That's. Uh, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not happy about the situation. I usually keep the first days, and then I get the hell out of here. And uh-huh. I was sweating out it because it's three days of holiday for the first days. And this is like technical Jew talk, so we don't have to get into it. But I'm hoping. Now let's get into it though. What was I, mean, that? I could, I could so let's it. get into it. Yeah, I could probably have a conversation about this. So <laughs> you have your uh, your holidays um, in which like like my parents keep traditional Sabbath, which means we're not using electricity in the house. No one's working right. in the house. We're not using pen and paper in the house like like lights that are left on or left on. But it's like you're not watching TV, all of that. Right. So when you come into holidays, like if the holidays come up against the Sabbath, you can end up where Thursday, Friday and Saturday are all days like that. Yeah. So those are rare. And it's like so I was already sweating out. Oh, my God, if I go home for Passover, because that's one of those ones that like it's like your Easter or I don't know what days people who aren't even really religious go to church. I think it's like mass and Easter, right? Those yeah. are kind of the two Easter and Christmas. Yeah. Yeah, Easter and Christmas. So for Jews, if you're not really keeping stuff, it would be Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Passover, 
right? Like, so Passover, I was going to come home for, but now I'm here for the whole thing. It's going to be a lot. I'm going to lose my fucking shit. I mean, I'm do really going to... Do they do that? The, do your parents do that fast, the 35 hours of not eating? Do they do that? No, it's not. It's 20. Uh, I, I still keep that one. You don't keep horrors. Oh, do you? Hours. Okay. Yeah. Is that is that coming up? No, no, that's not. Uh, okay. All right. Fine. That's not until so September again. All right. So you don't have to fast at least. You already lost five pounds. You can't lose too much more. <laughs> no, no, no. I lost five and then I went the other way. Oh, hell. I had my mom make cookies for the weekend. I ate uh, all those cookies. Then she made bread. Up. So I've been, able to, I've been able to put things into sandwiches. Now I'm up 10. I'm up to one eighty. I haven't been I haven't been one eighty in years. I'm five six. That's fat for, for one <laughs> Well, you're looking good, shoulders up, Robbie Bernstein. That was gonna yeah, say, you go. Robbie. You still you are, so you and I, Robbie, you and I are the same height and I weigh a lot more than you though. I've been trying to lose it all. Uh, what are you I, at? You know, right now at? I am at uh so I give myself a little props. At two thirty five was my heaviest. Okay. I was a big boy. And right now, and I started this not not too long ago, but I started the basic exercising and fasting and stuff like that. And I'm down right now to 212. You're looking uh, good, Bruno. So here's here's the thing: from a financial perspective, you have a better weight trend line than I do. So <laughs> I. <laughs> Thanks. I've now I haven't heard that compliment yeah, before. I appreciate that one. <laughs> you got to look at it this way. I fluctuate between 155 and 200. Now oh, I man. have not. Yeah. Now I go up and down. Now I haven't been near 200 for quite a while, but I also haven't been near 180 in quite a while. My range more like it has been more like 155. Are we, are we seeing a Robbie bubble? Yes, a little bit, because usually I'm 155 to 170, and then I bring it back down. It's very rare that I go over 175, because 170 to 175 is when my face starts getting fat, and then you're like, okay... <laughs> That's when, like, you're like, all right, I really got to pull it in. It's starting to. That's take when you're. Form. That's when you're really loading up the balance sheet. Yeah, but then 175 to 180 is already like, oh, he's kind of giving up, and then 180 to 200 <laughs> is just a sprint. Oh yeah, it, that is crazy. It is crazy, right? How quickly you could get, you can get that extra 20 pounds in. Oh, once yeah, you hit then, that, oh, I'm fucked. I I can't I can't do this. And you instantly, it's Big Macs every day, and and then you're like, whatever, who cares. And it's not just that, the way your appetite changes, like I remember when I was at 155 uh, and like I was really eating clean. I remember one of the first times I went to that pizza shop and I got that meatball sub and it shut me down. Now I'll eat the meatball sub and a brownie and I'll be like, how come I don't have more dessert here? <laughs> so <laughs> that's when right. it really starts fucking piling on. So yeah. your trend line is going down. Mine's going up. And we might end up meeting in the middle, buddy. And then we, we can have be, that boxing yeah. match. Yeah. 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 Maybe yeah you guys oh, can have the would... boxing match and then you meet there for a pizza between Astoria and Queens. No, so we'll do that. We'll do we'll do a boxing match at Chili Dose if that happens, and we'll hopefully <laughs> two oh five will be what we meet at. Hopefully, <laughs> you actually You've have been... some boxing experience, right? I have. I don't have boxing experience. I have. Um, I did karate and judo for a little while, but you're not allowed to use those in a boxing match. So, <laughs> so well, it'll be fine. In that case, it might be more interesting to do it MMA, which I have no yeah. experience with judo or karate or anything to do with grappling. So that would go to your advantage. Why you you have boxing experience? No, not really. The only the only advantage I have on you, and it's a little bit less now, is part of why I'm gaining weight is like at least when I'm in the city, I ride my bike to work every day. But riding to my my bike to work every day means I'm doing a full two hours of cycling. Sure. And on top of that, I don't go to the gym, but like I got a I do prison style workouts. I have like the pull up bar in my apartment, so I'll do like uh, pull ups and chin ups and that kind of shit. Smoking so, cigs. Uh, 
<laughs> smoking cigs, ripping exactly. pull-ups, really, just really like dude. building up your tapping up your bros. Exactly. <laughs> so in terms of like, uh, I, I not I, I don't have much sparring experience, but I think you I have, could kind of dance around and tire someone out. But you have tr- you have, you're saying that you have tremendous quads. You're basically saying you have big old quads. Oh, and you dude, probably get some power. Yeah, man, <laughs> probably probably fantastic. You'll probably get some good kicks in with that. We'll see. Hopefully, yeah. Chili Ghost happens and we can find out. We'll yeah. see. I can throw kicks. I can throw a mean roundhouse. You, you'd right. be surprised. That There's I very few things that are dangerous than a short guy who can throw a really mean roundhouse. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. It's, it is really true. All right. So before we move back on into Bitcoin, what kind of sandwiches are you pounding in quarantine? Okay. This is, well, this is big. So uh, uh, I made my own corned beef. What? Uh, Break that uh, down. Yeah, I will. I'll, I made my own corned beef in the bathtub. Um, what? That sounds gross. That went from delicious to no, no. It's well, the bathtub to possible innuendo. Bathtub. <laughs> you relax. First of all, <laughs> did you and your gay lover just soak with it in the tub? Yeah, we're corn. Looks like we made corned beef in the bathtub again. <laughs> no, listen, gentlemen. You Mom. Ma. <laughs> So, so it's Corn just beef, happens to be bathtub. All right, wait. Bathtub. This is what I imagine you do. You fill up the bathtub, you fornicate <laughs> in the bathwater, and then you let it all just sit in there as a residue and you put oh, the, the corned beef in. Yeah, yeah. sure. Sure. The bathtub, That's how you brine sorry it. Sorry to disappoint you, by the way, you, you fucking weirdos. But the <laughs> bathtub just happens to be the largest, like the biggest place where you can put a tub of water. That's uh, also where you shower and probably never clean. I can't. Oh, not I, me, you bud. never scrub that thing. That's not me, bud. I, actually, first of all, my bathroom is immaculate, so you need to wash your mouth out with soap after that. But <laughs> the, 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 yes. what, the it, truth is I haven't showered in three days, and I'm not really ashamed of it because who's, who am be. I seeing? Who am I seeing? Who am I, it's yeah. been 21 days locked in this. I tell you, this. that's why I'm not shaving the head. Fuck it. I'm not going anywhere. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, there it is. Bald. I don't care. It looks like, it looks like you grow, got a little growth there, though. Nah, it's, yeah. it's just lighting in here. It's, it's bald. <laughs> no, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not ashamed to say it. I, uh, I do the basic maintenance. I brush the teeth. I go under the armpits. I do the, 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 the what do you call that area where the, where the stungus? The penis? No. <laughs> no, the, where you get swamp ass. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, that area, that area is getting a daily wash. The the rump is getting a daily wash. The goods are being so washed. So you're doing the Mex- you're doing the Mexican shower. But, but I don't understand if you're already going to do that, why not just shower? Like that's yeah. almost gross. Seems like a lot of work. Kind of, yeah, it seems like more work. I don't know. I don't know. I haven't really thought. I about mean, that. It, it, experiment. All we're saying, all me and Robbie are saying, just toy around with it. Experiment. You know, you, you know what? The, the fact is. Honest. Top, if I needed the, my bathtub for making corned beef, maybe I wouldn't shower either. Robbie's got a big corned beef operation going in the basement <laughs> in Astoria. The, the fact is one of the biggest in the state. The fact is that the that the that the container with all the water and the corned beef in it weighs upwards of fifteen pounds, and I don't really feel like lifting it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so you just you got it in the bathtub. You're so showering that, over well, it, letting all, the shower. That's not even a sandwich. That was gonna. Yeah. That's gonna be a sandwich in the future. F- future sandwich. Okay. Before you tell me about future sandwich, when right. I bring you to my pizza place, you better bring me some bathtub corned beef. Yeah. <laughs> are you sure? You are you sure? Yeah. That's <laughs> right. yeah. Please, yeah. Document that because that's yeah. I will. I sure will. I did. Uh, I did two other sandwiches. Uh, uh, in the past quarantine time, and I'm gonna. They're they're good sandwiches. It's the the classic sandwich. Obviously, is you do butter. 
right? And you do ham, right? And that's it. That's the classic sandwich right there. Toasted butter ham. On what Simple, kind of bread? No cheese for you, Rob. No cheese for you. Uh, uh, and you can and you can do it on French bread. Okay. Uh, and and you can put garlic on it if you want to, whatever you want to do. That so that's been a sandwich I've been doing. I think it's just called a ham and butter, but it's in French. So whatever you want to say that is. And then I'm the other butter. sandwich. Did you say? Excuse me. I'm butter. Okay, there you go. That's what it is. Thanks, Car. Uh, yep. Thanks. And then the other sandwich it's, that it's I want coaching. to give to you. <laughs> the other sandwich that I want to give to you, Rob, in particular. Uh, is one that I've been working on for a little while, and it's called the Heart Attack, and it's based off of a deli sandwich by me that I can't get anymore because it's Wait, closed. Wait, can I can I guess what the Heart Attack is? Yeah. Okay. So, firstly, you need like Hero Bread. So you got your Hero Bread. You're opening that up, and the base of this operation is going to be a fried chicken cutlet. So you're throwing down your fried chicken cutlet, then you're getting cheese on top of that, probably a mozzarella cheese. And then the reason why you're calling it the heart attack is because you got to be throwing something else fried on there that's really gross. So maybe it's French fries, maybe it's onion rings, maybe it's like you're frying up bacon and you're doing that with French fries. And then possibly since you're throwing the, the, the cheese on there and the mozzarella cheese, you're almost looking at like a chicken parm. So maybe it's like a chicken parm with fried bacon and French fries on a hoagie. It you know what's scary is it's so close to that, but there's a few there's a few changes. It is all right. It is fried chicken, not a breaded chicken cutlet. It's fried chicken. But when you say uh, fried chicken, it's not on a bone. So to me, anytime if, well, if you're frying it, up chicken, it's not a bone. You're 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 eating a chicken cutlet. Fair enough, but it's deep fried rather than you know fried yeah. in a pan or anything like that. Fine, it's it's deep fried chicken cutlet if that's what you want to call it. Uh, bacon, American cheese. You can sub okay. that for cheddar cheese if you want. Salt and vinegar potato chips. Okay. Oh, I love those, man. I don't know if I said bacon, but bacon's on there. I love bacon. And I get a a, a heap of raw red onion. Like it. Uh, and and you can get garlic shavings on it. So I okay. get that. That's and then, what. Are you going like uh? Oh, Hot you said sauce, hero. Russian dressing. What kind of condiments are we looking at here? So you got. I'm not a condiment on a sandwich guy. I think they have Russian dressing as their condiment, but I usually tell them to hold it. And I don't know if I said the bread, but it's not a hero. It's a club roll. I don't know if you know what a club roll is, but the place by me, it's basically a hero. Maybe a little shorter. Maybe seven inches instead of like your standard eleven inches for a hero. And it's uh bigger. <laughs> And puffier rather than like a flatter hero. So that's the other sandwich that that I'm trying to recreate now. I do like to put Tabasco on it if I'm not going for sauce. I do like. I gotta get some hot sauce on there. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Tabasco. Yeah, yeah. So there's your sandwiches, Rob. So hopefully, hopefully you can get to making some sandwiches. Like 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 your fans know you. My mom's got some some good challah bread, and it's hard to beat challah bread. So I've been I've been making up. What some, the hell uh, is that? It's, it's egg bread. That? Listen to this, car. It's egg bread. Oh, right? that sounds good. And it makes the best French toast. Yes. All right. And so what yeah. you do is, Rob, this is one more for you, and this might be a little naughty. Don't let your parents see this one. Okay. Uh, <laughs> take that challah French toast and make it into sandwich bread, right? And then you put your bacon and your eggs and your breakfast sausage, right? And you okay. do all that. On the on the on the sandwich. Oh, are you a, saying it's naughty because 
Yeah, are you do you are you uh, Jewish enough to not eat pork, Rob? Well, in his family, they they're at least his family's going to be like certainly oh. during holy times, I guess. Yeah, right? so yeah, I, yeah. Uh, I, I went through a little bit of run with bacon, and then I I quit the bacon. Uh, but I make exceptions. It's not like the exceptions I make is for one, like every night when I eat that meatball sub, I never ask the guy like, "Hey, you throwing pork in here?" Or if I go out and I eat a burger, I'm not asking them if it's like a mix of you know what I mean. So, hey, bro, where's the pork? Yeah, exactly. I don't I don't investigate. I can't remember the last time I ate bacon, but like every once in a while if I'm in a place and like it really calls for eating a bacon cheeseburger, you know. Oh yeah. There's just some places where that make the burger better with the bacon on it. I don't know One why. One of those places is my house. Most of the time. <laughs> uh your your girlfriend and her wife was like, I don't want to listen to any more of this bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Yep, you're right. <laughs> okay. I feel like we talked sandwiches enough. Now we yeah, can transition ahead back into bitcoin unless you had something else you wanted to get in there i didn't mean to cut you off no 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 go ahead go ahead i'm okay. gonna i'm gonna go read so, that beer one of the things yeah I'm, i might have to take a whiskey intermission i yeah, thought sure. I, poured, I thought i poured myself enough but what are you drinking by the way you got a nice glass there uh my girlfriend made me a martini and it's delicious Ooh, what kind yeah, of martini? dirty martini dirty martini nice yeah i'm just makers uh yeah oh well, right. hey man that's a good that's i was drinking whiskey earlier not makers kentucky deluxe mm. uh <laughs> all right so my next question regards to bitcoin one of the people one of the things that makes people a little bit reluctant about yeah. investing in bitcoin is the fear of losing passwords <laughs> and i forget every password for every account of every anything i've ever set up online ever now i just made a coinbase account and I know that when I was making, I was like, hey, people lose these passwords. You better write down all your information. I don't remember any of it. Now, I haven't gone back to Coinbase, and I don't think Coinbase is a wallet in the same way that like I needed that key. I think I can just log into my account, and I'm good. Right. Um, but firstly, have I fucked myself? And what do you say to people that are concerned, which is somewhat legitimate of like, it's not as easy to kind of – it's not like a bank where I cannot know my account number, show up with my license, <coughs> and like, you know, they'll find my money for me. Yeah, for sure. So the first thing I'll say is that no, with Coinbase, so Coinbase is what we would refer to as a custodial um, like exchange or, or almost bank in a sense in the way that you're using it um, if you have it on there. So what, what Coinbase is doing is they're actually storing the private keys that correspond to the public address that your Bitcoin is locked at. Um, so when when you remember a password to your Coinbase account, you're really just logging logging into the custodian and telling the custodian, "Hey, I'm Robbie the Fire Bernstein." Um, I assume that 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 password's probably like sandwiches sixty nine or, or something like that. <laughs> um, Don't tell people. <laughs> so uh, it's all right. Your Bitcoin's gone. Your Bitcoin's gone. Uh, so so that's what you're doing. You're you're you're. It's the same thing like as if you were to go to a bank and say like. Uh, you know, I, this is my username. This is my password. They take care of all of the details of transferring the the U.S. dollars, like from here to there, and so on and so forth. When you take control of your assets, which is what you know, certainly people like me are 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 um, suggesting you do, because that's one of the huge uh, por like parts of the utility of Bitcoin is that you become your own bank. You. Uh, uh, take control of your the private keys 
that control the Bitcoin that's locked to the public addresses, you know, the corresponding public addresses. So, um, yes, it is a concern that you lose your private keys. And there's a million people, me, myself included, I've lost Bitcoin to, to, to private key loss. I mean, a long time ago. Um, but nonetheless, like, you know, it's a, a lesson hard learned and one that you should learn from other people's errors. You don't want to do that. Um, what I would say is that there are going to be, it's only gotten easier to, to, um, to deal with this, um, whether it be hardware wallets, whether it be, um, well, for increased security, multi-signature, uh, addresses, but you know, this is one of those things that, that you will have to get over the hump of remembering private keys. You, but, but here's the thing you don't have to, um, you don't have to have them at the tip of your memory. Like you do a password, right? So like for, for instance, like I have a cold storage setup where I'm never, I'm not moving that stuff. So I don't like, as long as my private keys are in a place where I can access them, I have no idea what they are. It doesn't matter. Um, so I, I just send stuff to the addresses that correspond to it. And as long as I'm not moving it, I don't have to remember them. Uh, so it's not like I'm logging into my Twitter account or, I guess what the somewhat scariest part about that, it's not so relevant for you right now, but it's in terms of kind of passing down your wealth. I, although I guess you can put in a will, Hey, here's the safe that has the information. Right. So there's, so there's really cool innovations coming here. So one thing that you can do is, uh, I've seen, I've seen, uh, well, the first one I'll start with is multi-signature addresses. So what you can do is you can actually have a public address that corresponds to any, M of N private signature arrangement. And what that means is that you could say, you could set the stipulations for moving the Bitcoin from a public address to, um, I have to sign the, I have to sign the signature with one of two private keys, two of three private keys, four of 700 private keys, whatever arrangement you really want to set up. And so in that way, what you could do is for instance, if you wanted to, if, if you have a son, and you say you want to you want to um, pass down your bitcoins to your son. What you could do is you could set up a two of three arrangement where you have private keys, your son has private keys, and let's say a trusted lawyer has private keys, or a, or a trusted family friend has private keys, or uh, his sister has private keys, or something like that. Where if you perish and you are un and they're unable to 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 secure to to recover your private keys you know, some other trusted party, or you could do like a three of seven or a four of seven or something like that, where as long as four people of those total seven that have private keys can come together and agree on it, you can move those to another address. The other thing you can do is a time lock where, um, after a certain number of blocks, the, uh, the, the Bitcoin is transferred to another Bitcoin address. So, um, uh, th there, there's a couple different ways that you can do that. But basically you can set it. So like 10 years from now, um, if I don't check in, this Bitcoin is sent to a different address and I could give that to my son what, it, where there are the private keys to that new address to my son or, or daughter. And, and so you could do that. Um, the, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of innovations coming around the space. It's like any perfectly free market. It's like every day there's like somebody new working on the actual demands of consumers. Like you said, what happens in this case? What happens in that case? There's a million people waiting to solve that for you. Yeah. And what's that is what also is like one of the part of the sales of Bitcoin. And there's already like the Nexus, there's a couple of these. But when you have a credit card that people can just walk around into any store and just buy shit, and it automatically is going to take the relevant amount of Bitcoin for the exchange so that I don't even need to like, I, I don't have the transactional problem of not having my money in cash, is going to make a big difference. 
Um, yes. Now, with what we were talking about with the passwords, and I'm going to run some random uh, recent stories that came up sure. in regards to Bitcoin. Yeah. But one of them was that apparently some dude who used to work at Google, some guy had lost his key for $300,000, and this guy from Google uh, was able to crack the algorithm. Yeah. Now, what makes that scary is that part of the sale of Bitcoin is, hey, everything's so secure that even though it's a digital asset, nobody could possibly crack into this thing. So does that at all make you concerned that, hey, this uh, security story of that part of part of what makes this asset valuable is that it's so secure and that it's so, you know, distributed all over the place. Nobody possibly has the computing power to be able to steal your Bitcoin. But if people can start fucking, I guess, cracking passwords, it sounds like you're not too far off from being able to, you know, hack in and steal money. Right. So so I guess the answer to this is two parts. One is yes, but yes, because of a dis, uh, uh, be, because people are getting into it and not being um, informed <clears throat> of um, all of the, the the responsibilities that they now need to take on being their own bank, which comes with it all of the powers. Um, so there's a lot of these stories. They've they've gone back a, a long way. Where if you create a very weak private key, um, it's very easy. All you have to do. So so the idea between behind pu private public key cryptography is that it, it's it's this is a common metaphor, but it's like a Sudoku puzzle, right? So it's very it's a it's pretty difficult to solve one way, but it's very easy to check. So it's like one way mathematics. If you if you have a very easy Sudoku, somebody can spend the time. Like let's say you have a, a huge bounty behind an easy Sudoku. It's worth it for somebody to try to crack it the other way. And so they will. But there's ways to mitigate that um, and, and actually really prevent it. So each private key um, can contain a certain amount of entropy uh, that you're going to have to basically compute backwards on. What if you create a 1,000 of 1,000 private key? You've now like made it so beyond uh, uh, feasible for anybody to even try to crack that private key or those thousand private keys to move that Bitcoin that you you know it's it's just not even worth it. Um, that's an extreme example. What you what really at this point with the level of computing that we know in the, in the world, I think it's it's more or less accepted that basically probably a very very safely made private key with requisite entropy, it will be safe in securing your, your, the, the Bitcoin uh, attached to most public keys. But if you make a two of two, uh, multi-sig address, you know, you're, you're probably very, 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 very safe. You're probably going to be actually more dangerous in meat space. Like somebody actually coming in and like beating you, you know, the five, they call it the $5 wrench attack. Somebody breaking into your house, beating you with a wrench to, to tell you where the private keys are. Um, but, but again, it's an ever evolving thing. I, as there's a, probably a lot of listeners listening to this to say, wow, this sounds like really, really complex. But again, there's going to be tremendous demand for people to, to safely store their Bitcoins. And therefore, there's going to be supply because it's an unfettered market. So people are going to come in and create solutions as they already have um, that say, OK, well, we, we've we're going to we're going to make it very easy for you to create very secure private keys and 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 put them in series uh, in, a, in an M of N arrangement of your of your choosing. All right. Now, one of the other things that they keep talking about a lot, and this also might just be the clickbaity bullshit articles, is that, hey, the how the having is coming. And since the having is coming, Bitcoin's going to go way up in value. So just explain what the having is. It's basically the rate at which people can mine um, Bitcoin 
is going to be like the, the solution that you have to solve is going to become doubly difficult so that you're going to be able to basically mine it at half the current rate. And that's going to keep. Am I right on that? Well, so your overall thrust is right, but from a technical standpoint, I'd make some adjustments. So um, each block that is confirmed, <clears throat> and that in each block contains a, the, a, a number of Bitcoin transactions that fill up the block um, and adds them to the blockchain, the public recordation of every transaction that's ever happened. With each block, um, for the first uh, 150 years or whatever it is of Bitcoin's life, there is a block reward subsidy for the miners to mine that block because in the beginning and even still now, um, people need to be re rewarded with a, with a subsidy because the fees aren't high enough, high enough to pay the miners to secure the blockchain yet. So <clears throat> it started at 50 Bitcoins per block. So when miners came in in 2009, 2010, 2011, 2012, there weren't really any fees because the blocks weren't full. Um, so you could almost put any transaction in the blockchain for free because it wasn't worth anything. Nobody, virtually nobody knew about it at the time. It was just a bunch of hobbyists. Um, as Bitcoin, Bitcoin uh, gained value, you know, there's more and more fees being paid, paid and more and more fees. But as, to compensate for that, <clears throat> what the original code said was initially we're going to distribute 50 Bitcoins per block mined. So in the first four years, or five years or whenever the first having was um, the, or three years, I guess the, uh, the Bitcoin, re the, the reward for the miners, whoever mined the next block would get 50 Bitcoins. So <clears throat> each four years, it's actually based on block size, but right now it, it basically correlates with years. Um, the, that Bitcoin reward is cut in half. So it went from 50 to 25, 25 to 12 and a half, and it's about to go to six and a quarter. So what that does is, there's there's kind of two things. Um, well, the overarching theme is that as more people adopt Bitcoin and more people use it for transactions, the block reward subsidy is supposed to phase out and the miners are supposed to be supported by the fees that are being paid. You're paying for the security of an irreversible um, transaction on a public ledger, right? Um, but as- What that uh, also means is that there's going to be less automatic supply of the Bitcoin. Right. So in theory, it should become more valuable. Now, right. my well, question for you okay. is that from a financial perspective, I would think that all of that's already priced into the asset. And what I mean by that is like the way stocks work is they forecast future earnings and that shit's all priced in. It's like when they don't miss earnings, all of a sudden the stock goes down. So the idea that you're going to get to, you know- one date and the halving is going to happen. All of a sudden the thing's just going to go up in value from a financial perspective or like a, an efficient market kind of hypothesis. Look at it. I would think that's all just priced in. Okay. So I, I guess I have a couple of points. So, um, you know, I don't know what Amazon is at right now, but why wasn't it at that at 2001? Well, I guess from 2001 to, to 2020, you could say a 19 year projection is not, you know, the market's not projecting a full 19 years, but then again, Amazon doesn't tell you exactly every new product that it's going to create. If you got a currency and the currency is essentially revolving around, you know, the demand for it. So I just like, especially if let's look at it this way. If Amazon tells you, Hey, we're projecting earnings of $2 a share in April. Right. And yeah. the market agrees with that. If they hit the $2 a share in April, their stock's not moving. It's right. not. It's if they miss it, 
or if they over forecast it, then all of a sudden people make their adjustments or if they go or if they hit their two dollars in April and they go, yeah, but in May we're projecting blank and it's way bigger than what people thought. OK, I see what you're off. saying. I, I see what you're saying. Like in some ways, Bitcoin is set in stone, like what it's going to be doing. Well, it's not just uh, set in stone, but in a month from now fuck yeah it's set in stone well it's going to be in a month from now so right. i'm not saying every the, having should be projected the protocol it the, the consensus rules are all set in stone so it should you're you're saying in theory the market should be far more efficient than something like amazon where they could be deciding uh what what to do from a business i'm saying standpoint. that the having should have no effect on the price of bitcoin oh okay that should already be priced in the idea so, that in a month from now they're going to hit some switch and everyone's going to realize it's more valuable. Okay, so so there's there's two points here, um, and uh, so the first one is that the reality of the situation right now for miners is that uh, you can't pay um, like power bills or or capital expenditures for the most part in Bitcoin. So all of them are more or less uh, selling a, a large portion because it's an efficient market. They're probably right. I don't know what the margins they make on it six ten percent whatever you want to pick. Um, the remainder of that they're theoretically setting, selling to pay for power, to pay for capital, pay for maintenance operations, and so on and so forth. So that is tr providing tremendous sell pressure uh, on the market, uh, you know, day in and day out. Uh, you're cutting that. You're you're cutting that in half, uh, to, in some sense. The other part is, is that so for the last four years, um, you know, whatever whatever the supply of Bitcoin was at in you know four years years ago, what, what, I don't know, if, you know, 15 million or 16 million or, you know, whatever it is, and it's at 18.2 or whatever it is now. Um, that means for it to appreciate in value, not only did people have to buy up the original amount of Bitcoin, but also the new supply that's coming in, in order for it to appreciate in value. Now you're cutting that new supply in half over the next four years. So for it to appreciate in price, technically there's a lot less sell pressure that's coming into the market because that should be priced in that really well, should. you know, it, 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 as the network effects of this grow and as the technology grows, like Bitcoin today, even though the consensus rules are going to be the same, the Bitcoin product today to the consumer is way different than it was in yeah, 2013. So here's what I'm saying. So that's new demand. I agree with you. New demand might come for the Bitcoin product because more of your general mainstream America realizes, hey, this is a good idea for my yeah. current usage. Right. But the actual having event should have zero effect on price because it should be priced in because we all know it's going to happen. In other words, future demand of other people that, for the product, you're like, yeah, that's okay. Well, we don't have to go in circles. Around well, let me, let me, let me yeah. ask you, actually, let me, let me ask you a, a question to pinpoint this, I think, because I, I, to some degree, I agree with you to, to me, the way that I look at it a lot of times is that there's 21 million Bitcoins. Some of them haven't been found yet, but there's 21 million Bitcoins. That's it. That's all. That's the consensus rule. However we get there is however we get there. We're at 18.2 now. What the fuck's the difference of two and 2.8 million or is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it, it's, oh, we're it's pretty close to the end. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're almost. We're almost there. Yeah. We're. Oh, we're. We mined. We've. We've mined eighteen point three million bitcoins. Some of them are lost to burnt addresses, and there's twenty one million total. And the you know. So like, yeah. To to your point, like 
what the hell is the having difference? Yeah, it it's just it no, not really. And the way that I look at it is that because it's built into it's the consensus rule, of the total market is left to be mine. Yeah, something like that. It's very very little. Yeah. So it's just the it's just the day to day sell uh, selling pressure of big of of miners trying to cover their costs. A lot a lot of it. But the, but the but the other point is that. Um, you know, the way that I look at it is because it's built into the consensus rules and those consensus rules are guarded by the proof of work algorithm, there's 21 million Bitcoins. That's it. That's all. Today, that's the same as it was in 2009, the same as it was in 2011, and the same as it's going to be in 2200. That's it. There's 21 million Bitcoins. You know, that the, the, it, it, it doesn't really yeah. matter. So, you know, in some ways, the having is a, a, an exciting event because it is going to drastically de decrease sell pressure, and it's going to de decrease the amount of new buyers that are that are needed in order to influence the price up or down. But other than that, yeah, it's just an interesting thing that happens. Yeah. Another thing, I, I just thought of this while uh, you were talking about it. another thing that's interesting about Bitcoin is that as the price drops, it becomes more expensive for both the miners to sell the Bitcoin that they've mined and to actually go ahead and mine it. Yep. So as the price comes down, you're going to end up with um, less, like almost more demand for the product because less people are going to be less willing to, it's like there's a built in stop, like stop gap on people selling or mining it, which is really interesting. Yeah. It's a weird thing when you start to try to game theory out all of the players, whether it be the miners, the investors, the traders, the speculators, you know, it's a, it starts, you start to get like weird counter stories and like, like, right. yeah, it's a, it's a okay, really interesting. Yeah. There's a lot of players. There's yes. A there's a players. lot of players on a lot of different timelines. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's really fun to think about. Okay. So here were two other, uh, big news stories that took place in Bitcoin universe. One was, and I already forgot all the details on this, but this was like already a full month. I think it was a month ago, but there was talk in the cryptocurrency channels about a job posting by the government that they were essentially looking to hire, like the intelligence agencies were looking to hire a Bitcoin expert. And you're sure. nodding your head, so you know what I'm talking about. So take it from there. Oh, I mean, I, I don't know about that one specifically, but I'm sure they've been hiring them for a long time. I, I mean, yeah, this, this is a huge threat to them. Uh, okay, so you you weren't aware of that one specifically. The next is I saw that there was in Congress uh, someone proposed the Cryptocurrency Act of 2020, but I didn't get much more details than that on it. That uh, some sort of a regulation protocol for Bitcoin or something something along those lines. Uh, yeah, I don't, I, again, I just kind of stopped paying attention to these things because they're just words on a page. They're they're you w once you start to kind of wrap your mind around what this is, like they're so like laughably irrelevant that it just doesn't like make all the laws you want i don't really care <laughs> like right, right. <laughs> you just feel like this thing it, it exists too far out of government they're never going to be able to wrap full control over it and so i'm not too concerned about like they're, they're not, lagging behind the technology not to say don't worry about your own safety personally and don't worry about your own privacy personally but in terms of the overall uh network now it, 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 i think the toothpaste is out of the tube, in my opinion. At this point, it would take a, a you know nothing short of an act of God um, to to you know more or less stop adoption. I don't think. Yeah, I could be wrong, but yeah, I mean, I, I would say protect your privacy, protect your you know your assets because it, the, a, a crackdown could be very real, and they could easily criminalize. Well, they, it. they could. Dude, they, they rounded up gold. They did it. 
Yeah, I absolutely. Was, uh, one, one, one of the Roosevelt's like, that's what's funny about FDR. people who have physical gold and they're yeah. like, hey, I'm safe with my physical gold. Right. No, you're not. Exactly. They've got no. a record of you buying it. And if it becomes Ab- really valuable, if they need it. They're going to come collect it. Yep. That's what they did. Now, and there and there were certain people that were that were able to hide it. But let me ask you, is it is it easier to hide physical gold or is it easier to ha- hide a password in your head? Potentially, if you need to. I don't want to memorize my 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 seed words, but if I if, if it came down to life or death, I absolutely I'd would shove it up my ass. That's a real shove story. Up, yeah, you shove it up your shove ass. Yeah. Password up your ass. Yeah. You know, pretend like, hey, that's some, some toilet paper but cop guy that got stuck on the side of my asshole. Whereas you want to start shoving gold coins up there. You know, it's yeah, not right? that easy. I yeah. had this. I had this Trezor shoved up my ass. I had the Trezor shoved up my ass. Up my ass. <laughs> <laughs> Your father shoved it up my ass. <laughs> what? How did that scene go? Oh shit. That's that was uh, the first time you saw Pulp Fiction. I was maybe thirteen, and that scene was so funny because so funny. I had never even heard of the concept of people shoving things in their ass. That just came out of nowhere. <laughs> Christopher Walken. <laughs> <laughs> all right before i let you guys go so if chili dose does not go off on the intended date do you guys think you're going to reschedule it oh uh, yeah i would think so yeah i would hope so okay yeah. and and, and come to chili dose what went down on the last one Oh, dude, it was, yeah, it was a lot of fun, man. It was like 30, 35 of us, and we were just hanging out, camping, drinking, and and just having a good old time, man. It was, you know, it was, it was a blast, and I, I highly recommend everybody come out if we if we do, in fact, have, or when, in fact, we have it again. Well, Chili Dose is going to go on at some point. I'm going to do stand-up from the back of a truck. We're going to do a live podcast in the middle of the fucking woods while we're hammered. Oh, yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Before I let you guys go, anything else you wanted to throw out there? Anything you want to plug? Shit, I don't know, Bird. What do we got? No, I, I think usually we would plug Childerberg. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> yeah that kind of just highlights the tragedy that we're in right now. It's, no, we don't don't have any plugs. No plugs. I guess I guess you can listen to our podcast if you want to. We're you friends know, against yeah, government, but, you, but they don't want to do that. Right? But they, yeah, you wouldn't obviously. Why would, would they want to do, do that? No, that yeah, Robbie's right. audience are probably a bunch of intelligent. You know, yeah, they wouldn't want to lower themselves to our. Why would they want to do that? Yeah, they wouldn't want to do anything like yeah, that. Yeah, don't actually don't listen. Yeah, d- yeah. Don't, don't listen to that show. No, no plugs, Robbie. No, no. Okay, perfect. Because uh, it seems to me like you guys were kind of growing in the numbers on social. So <laughs> please do not follow the fag cast guys. Stay loyal to run your mouth. We still, you know what? I'm reigniting the beef. Let's I was do that. Gonna... <laughs> I That's was how we say, close I, it. Yeah, Reignite the beef. I, I, I recall that last year was it, or maybe early this. Yeah, last year we tried to have a a beef. I think that was the thing. Yeah, I and I guess nobody could have ever predicted we ultimately would have beefed with ourselves. Well, there you go. Well, you got and you got the corn beef. So we're That's gonna right. hang out once this shit's all over. Uh, always a pleasure. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Oh, much, oh, oh, one plug. Wash your hands, everybody. Jeez. From the guy who doesn't shower. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's we it. Good? Seriously, always fun. Thanks. I appreciate. Always a pl- yeah. Always a blast, Robbie. Take all it right. easy, man. I'm gonna go refill my burgers later. Later. Later.